on today's episode of the Elder Law Coach Podcast. This is absolutely one of the most exciting cases because it is so interesting because people will probably come into your office thinking they're going to lose everything or at best, even if they've read the rules, they think, well, we can only protect half or some attorney told us we need to get a divorce and we don't like any of those options. I was like, well, good, because we don't have to do any of those options. You get to keep almost everything. Welcome to the Elder Law Coach Podcast, where you'll get the information you need to really help seniors lower your work stress, improve your work-life balance, and make a good living. Your hosts are certified elder law attorney Todd Watley and his co-host Sarah Scott. They're here to help you do just that. Join us today as we discuss hot topics in elder law and topics to help you help our seasoned citizens and their families. Here's your Elder Law Coach podcast hosts, licensed nursing home administrator Sarah Scott and Todd Watley. Hey, welcome back to the Elder Law Coach Podcast. My name is Sarah Scott. I'm so happy to be co-hosting this podcast with the Elder Law Coach, the one and only, the Todd Watley. All right. Thanks, Sarah. I appreciate that. Um, You always make the introductions um, interesting and fun, shall we say. So today I want us, and when I say us, it's probably going to be mostly me talk about one of the things that I think is one of the most foundational issues that you need to understand if you want to do elder law. If you're an experienced practitioner, I think you'll still get something out of this. Um, I'm going to go through my thousands of cases of spin down recommendations, but if you're new to this, this is going to be excellent information that you need to understand. You need to have this down very pat and be able to say it just with, without even thinking, because this is what's going to make you some money in your practice because you're able to help people so much. And today's topic, if obviously you can read the title of the podcast, but today we're going to talk about the married spin down in order to get a married person qualified for Medicaid. And this is absolutely one of the most exciting cases because it is so interesting because people will probably come into your office thinking they're going to lose everything or at best, even if they've read the rules, they think, well, we can only protect half or some attorney told us we need to get a divorce and we don't like any of those options. I was like, well, good, because we don't have to do any of those options. You get to keep almost everything. And it can be everything in a lot of situations. And this is where you really make a lot of difference in someone's life. You can change their life because the person needing care is going to get the care they need. They're probably not getting adequate care at home, but the spouse is simply killing themselves to keep the person at home due to financial reasons. And you'll learn, if you don't know at this point, as we go through this, there there is not a financial reason for not putting someone into a nursing home and applying for Medicaid, even with nearly a million dollars worth of countable assets. And so this is just one of those... You have to understand this, and this, I, in my practice, this is the most exciting case we do, and that's why I wanted to address this in detail. 
Now, I do want to say I'm going to, I think my next or within the next few podcasts is going to be how to present this to the client. <clears throat> In this podcast, I'm going to just talk to you directly as an attorney and teach you how to do the spin down. This approach a lot of it carries over into the presentation to the client, but I will go through another podcast and go start to finish on how you present this to the client and walk them down the road to them hiring you and allowing you to do this for them and protect a large portion of their assets. So just very basic um, understanding here. We are talking about the married person applying for Medicaid and how I introduce this to the client, and I want to introduce it to you if it's new, I call this area of the Medicaid rules the spousal protection rules. I don't think that terminology is in there, but it, it just makes sense. And I tell clients, look, Congress had a heart, and they realized in this situation where there is a married couple and one person is going into the nursing home, but the other person is not, the person not in the nursing home, they need to live, they need assets, they need income, they they need to survive. And therefore, there are some rules in the Medicaid law that protects this spouse. And most people don't understand that they don't know they're there, number one, or they don't fully understand it. And that's where as an elder law attorney, we fully understand these rules, we understand how this works. And even reading the rules on their face, they're fairly generous. But we as elder law attorneys can take this to the next level and make these rules very generous and protect everything that you have, okay? And so that's how you, you open this. And if you're unfamiliar with this, that's, that's the way it is. I mean, this is a very exciting area of elder law that allows us to do a ton of good for folks. Okay, so the rules are under assets – Medicaid will look at all of the assets owned by either spouse. Now, for sure, in all the states, the not, when they look at all of these assets, they will then determine some of these assets to be non-countable assets. So without fail, I'm pretty sure in all 50 states, at least the home in any land that it's attached to is not counted. Anything that's in the home, household furnishings, things without a title to them, your stuff, you know, artwork, pianos, dishes, clothes, all of that stuff, doesn't matter. Um, one vehicle, and typically you can choose the most expensive vehicle or the vehicle with the most equity as a non-countable asset, and then prepaid burial. So those are four things that, if I am not mistaken, are not counted in all the states. In some states, you can not count the IRA of either spouse or possibly both spouses. That is a very state-specific rule, and you will need to um, check your rules. A really great resource is one of our sponsors to this show is Ashber, and that is Amber Hines, and she knows this stuff backwards and forwards. She works with attorneys, and I think in just about every state, one phone call to her, and she can probably answer that question. If she doesn't know, she knows an attorney that she can call and find out, okay? So just a quick pointer there, but sometimes IRAs are not counted, and that can be a huge issue because sometimes people have put a ton of money into IRAs. So home, household furnishings, one vehicle, burial for sure, and then sometimes IRAs. Those things 
come off the table, everything else gets counted. Those are called countable assets. So when a person, when you're working with spouses, you are looking for a thing called a snapshot date. That is the first day that a person is in a long-term care facility, or it can be the, the first time that you apply for Medicaid. If your state has waiver programs, they may not go into a nursing home, but they can apply for a waiver program. And typically, you can set a snapshot date with a Medicaid application for um, a waiver program, or it is the first day in a long-term care facility when they have been there 30 days, okay? So you, you don't have to wait 30 days, but you don't have a first day of a snapshot if you don't have 30 days. So the person's got to be there 30 days, but you go back to day one, that is your your snapshot. What we do on the snapshot date is look at the total assets, pull out the non-countable assets, and then we have countable assets. What is that number? Pull up the number of fair market value on real estate, vehicles, whatever, and all the bank accounts on that day, you need to be exactly on that day. What is that number? So if that number is, let's say $200,000, okay, with that number, each spouse gets half. So the spousal protection rules say that the spouse not in the nursing home gets half of the assets, the other spouse gets the other half. Okay, at $200,000, it truly is half and half. She gets 100, he gets 100. And in this example, when I say she and he, I mean, she is the community spouse. And you'll see that in probably way more than 50% of your cases. She is the community spouse. He is the one going into the nursing home. So just, I'm, I'm not being sexist. I'm not just for the sake of this presentation, she is the community spouse. He is the institutional spouse. So his $100,000 is what has to be spent down below $2,000 is the normal number. So that's another state-specific thing. I think in Missouri, that number is 5035 So you've got to spend just over 95000 or just under $95,000 if you're starting at one hundred to get them below the limit. You've got to get below your state limit. It's 2000 in a whole lot of states. Some states do a different number, okay? That getting from 100000 down to below your state number is known as spend down, okay? We are spending the money after the snapshot date to get this person qualified. The people coming into your office will have a preconceived notion that spend down can only be done on the nursing home. That is incorrect. There is nothing in the law that says they have to do that. They will be told that by the nursing home because the nursing home wants to be private pay as long as possible. DHS will tell them, oh, spend down is spending your money on the nursing home. That is incorrect. We as elder law attorneys, this is where we take advantage. We utilize the rules and then make the rules really work into our client's benefit by spending the money on things that directly benefit the community spouse, okay? So when we have to do spend down, we figure out the, the snapshot amount. She gets half, he gets half, up to an amount, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But his spend down can be on the non-countable assets. We are converting a countable asset, cash money, things sitting in the bank account, causing him to be disqualified. We convert that to non-countable assets. The first thing we look at is the home. So 
look at the home. If there's a mortgage, that is a perfect way to spend countable money to put it on a non-countable asset by paying down the mortgage. A great way, and people really enjoy this, there's some um, technicality here that I want to talk about, but if sh- if we're at $100,000 for him, we need to get down below two. That means we need to spend $98,000. If they had a $98,000 mortgage, boom, one check paid after the snapshot date. He's now under $2,000. We can apply for Medicaid. She has a paid off home. She has $100,000 in the bank and he's on Medicaid. It's beautiful. Okay. Now, without getting way into the weeds, I do want to talk about Sometimes you don't want to completely pay off the mortgage. So the other thing we've not talked about yet is the um, income for the community spouse. That is known as the Minimum Monthly Maintenance Needs Allowance, or MMMNA, commonly known as MIMNA, okay? So her MIMNA is based on your state rules, Rule number one for income for the community spouse is she gets to keep her income, okay? The rule for the person going on Medicaid, the general rule, particularly if you're single, your income goes to pay for care. That's the rule for a married person is generally their income will go to pay for care. However, with a married couple, we then look at her income and say she needs to get the minimum monthly maintenance needs allowance or MIMNA. And I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. And I want this to be somewhat evergreen, not just for the year that I do it in, but let's just say the MIMNA right now in your state is $2,200. So in these situations, you'll see the husband was the one who worked outside the home, did things. He generated the most income. His social security income may be $2,500 a month. She stayed home or worked part-time jobs or whatever, and her income, let's say, is $800 a month. So rule number one for the community spouse, Memna, is she gets to keep her income. Rule number two is her income should be at least the Memna. And so here we'll say $2,200. So if she's only making $800 a month, we get to pull $1,400 from him and give it to her every single month. That gets her up to that $2,200. Now, the MIMNA is the minimum. You can also, there is a maximum income. And the way, if your state is a minimum state, meaning that they start at that lower number, we can get her off of that lower number by showing excessive expenses that she pays every single month. One of those expenses is a mortgage payment. And so if you're looking at a $98,000 mortgage, and she's paying $600 a month, well, you may not want to completely pay off the mortgage. I mean, she's still making that payment, but she gets to keep more money. And if you know, I prefer to pay off the mortgage, but there are some practitioners out there who will say, look, you know, let's get her as much income as possible and let's fix it so that six months into this, possibly 
she can pay off this mortgage and Medicaid typically looks at this for a year. There's a possibility she can keep that for a few months, but my general rule is pay off the mortgage. However, there are sometimes if she really wants to spend money on some other non-countable asset, we may want to keep the mortgage and know that DHS will bump her up from the minimum. You can't go above the maximum and the maximum let, let's say is about $3,500 a month. So therefore, if she's at 22, but she has a $600 mortgage payment, the state Medicaid office may give you give her an additional $600 to increase her income so that she can make that mortgage payment. You can also submit POA dues, um, property owners association dues, um, homeowner, homeowner association dues sometimes. That's what they're known as, excessive utility bills. Things like that that make her spend more money than normal can get her up off of the minimum maintenance minimum monthly maintenance needs allowance and bump her up some, okay? All right, so we're back to assets. So we, we spend this money on the mortgage. That's perfect. We then go to look at what this, what does the house need done to it? Chances are they're older. He's been sick quite some time. She's not really handy around the house. There's probably some things that have gone neglected over time because he's not up to par. And so you say, is there anything in your house that needs to be repaired or replaced? And a lot of times they're like, yeah. And what's funny is typically it's the kids will say, mom, you've got to replace that carpet. That carpet is nasty. Get rid of it. If he's saying we can spend money on a carpet or give the money to the nursing home, let's buy a new carpet. She's like, well, you're probably right. We should do that. And so sometimes you want the kids in the meeting with you to help mom say, you've got to change that out or this or that. And that stuff will come apparent, but the things I bring up are roof because those are expensive and it helps resell on the house and it just makes sure she doesn't have to replace it later on. So if the roof needs replacing, do that. Siding, windows, electrical plumbing, um, you know, just anything that the house needs, landscaping, tree removal, just anything. Plumbing from the street to the house sometimes is gotten bad, it's got roots in it or whatever, get that all done, pay for it, make her life easier and make this house easier to sell when the time comes. So mortgage and home repairs. Then once that is done, we then move down to household furnishings, the washer and dryer, refrigerator, oven, furniture, TVs, things like that. Does any of that need to be replaced or are they very inefficient? Whereas replacing them, particularly the heat and air system, okay, that's a big deal. If it's older, if it's working fine, but it's 15 years old, it probably has a very low efficiency. And if we can replace that and have her go from paying $600 a month in utility bills to $300 a month, we've essentially put $300 into her pocket with, we can't change the income. I just talked about that. That income is pretty well set based on um, state rules, federal rules. But if we can decrease her outflow, we've basically increased her income and getting higher efficiency appliances, particularly the heat and air system, refrigerator, wash and dryer, things like that, replacing those, she'll 
sometimes fight you on it, but you say, look, get more efficient units. And that way you spend less money each month on utilities and you'll have more money. So you go through that list. Then we move down to the car. It's like, Miss Jones, you're going to be driving to the nursing home probably every single day to go see him. So why don't we get you a new car? Your car, I, yes, I know it's only five years old, but it if something goes out at five years, six years, seven years, things start to wear out. And if we don't do it now, you're going to have this money, you're going to have to spend it out of your money where we could spend it out of his money that otherwise would go to the nursing home. So let's Let's just trade in your car. Let's get a new car and be done with it so that you'll have nice, reliable transportation to the nursing home and probably have at least a three-year warranty so that you don't have to worry about it. And the kids really love that idea. Mom, probably not, but the kids really love it. And so that gets us through three of those things. And then we get to burial. Make sure that the her burial, his burial, it's all paid for, completely paid for. That contract with the funeral home needs to be an irrevocable contract, okay? So when they do it, what I tell people is tell the nursing home you're doing this for Medicaid. Most nursing home, not nursing home, funeral home directors know that to qualify for Medicaid, it has to be irrevocable. So just check the box or initial down at the bottom of the contract that says this is now irrevocable, cannot be changed. And now spending 10, 15, maybe $20,000 on a funeral, it's done, it's taken care of, and we spend it out of the spend down money. All right, Sarah, that's a lot of stuff that I've just said. Well, I think it's time to take a little break. So enjoy this message from our wonderful sponsors, and we will talk to you soon. Do you have clients who are over-resourced for Medicaid, but interested in accelerating Medicaid eligibility while preserving their assets? Your clients may want to consider purchasing a Medicaid-compliant annuity, MCA. MCAs are specialized insurance solutions offered by only a handful of insurance companies. To learn more about MCAs, reach out to Amber Hines at Ashbur. Ashbur is a nationally licensed organization that helps clients achieve Medicaid eligibility through the use of MCAs. Ashbur hosts monthly educational webinars pertaining to various Medicaid planning topics. To learn more, visit ashbur.com or call 888 888- Four four one one five nine five. You're listening to the Elder Law Coach Podcast. Now back to your hosts, licensed nursing home administrator Sarah Scott and Todd Watley. Okay, we are back from the break. Um, I Appreciate Amber um, helping us out here, and she is absolutely fantastic. If you don't use her for annuities, I would highly recommend. Speaking of annuities, now we're on that topic. So I've 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 been using the example of two $200,000 in countable assets. We can spend $98,000 pretty quick, okay? When you start looking at mortgage, house repairs, cars, 98000 goes quick. What if the person person comes in and their countable assets are now 400,000, 600,000 or 800,000. Okay? The rule is the community spouse maxes out at the community spouse resource allowance. There is a maximum. And so let's just say it's 
150. Okay, again, I want this to last for years. You can check that out, and definitely the Ashper website. You can go to state resources for every state. She has this number there, and so you can go there and see what the maximum com- community spouse resource allowance is. But let's just say it's 150. So if you're at $600,000 in countable assets, she gets 150. 450 goes to the insta two-slice spouse. So we've got to spend 450 down below $2,000. That's difficult to spend on home repairs and cars and things like that. There's going to be a chunk of change out there that is causing him to be disqualified, but we've got to do something with. This is where the Medicaid qualifying annuity comes in, and this is how we can really make a difference and really take advantage of these rules to say, Ms. Jones, you're going to get to keep everything. It's going to be rearranged a little bit, but in the end, you're going to get to keep everything. And so um, with this annuity, you take the countable assets that are being, that are causing him to be disqualified, you put it into this Medicaid qualifying annuity, and it makes payments to the community spouse over a set length of time within her life expectancy even payments, and it's irrevocable. I will do another podcast and probably have Amber on to discuss this particular topic, the ins and outs of this, so that you fully understand it. But for this purpose, I want you to understand that is one of the tools we can use to get a person spent down and protect almost everything, okay? So you always go through that sequence, house, particularly mortgage, home repairs, and then household furnishings, then a new car, prepaid burial, and then we go and look at the um, annuity, okay? We dump er that's the last thing we do. We dump everything else into the annuity so that it then converts countable assets into a stream of income. Remember, rule Rule number one of the community spouse is she gets to keep her income. So in the example that I use, he makes 25, she makes 800. Well, if we create this Medicaid qualifying annuity that pays three, four, five, six thousand dollars a month, obviously she's going to be above the MIMNA, the 2200 or 3500. She's going to be above that. But she gets to keep all that, okay? There's a few states. I think there are three states out there that have a that once the community spouse income gets over a certain amount, a portion of anything over that goes back to the institutional spouse. That's very state specific. I think there's only three states who do that. So probably it's not your state, but just understand it could be. So, um. That's how we do it, okay? This is one of the most fun cases, and I will tell you, not to tell you exactly what to charge, but it is very reasonable that you charge between two and three months worth of nursing home care to do this for a family. Yes, two or three months of what they are paying for a nursing home care. Join me on a a future podcast where I tell you how to present this to the client and I will teach you that as you go through that meeting, you mention the cost of the nursing home numerous times. And then you say, look, the community spouse gets to keep $150,000. $600,000 goes over here. 
if you were to do what the nursing home says, you're going to spend $600,000 at $6,000 per month. That's 100 months. Your nursing home could be more than that. If it's 12 months, that's still 50 months, okay? You're going to spend money for 50 months and lose $600,000. But I can fix this. I can get him on Medicaid next month and you only pay me two months. And she's like, 50 to two? Absolutely. How quickly can I write the check? Okay. And so that that may be a bigger fee than you have ever charged in your life, but it's justified because you are saving these people their lifetime savings. You are getting them the care that they need, giving them the peace of mind that they need to know. I can do this. I can get the care I need for my loved one and the community spouse won't go broke. That is invaluable. Few people understand this and families will pay a very handsome fee for you to do this for them because it is saving them a tremendous amount of money. So how can they digest everything that you just said and know exactly what they need to be doing? All right. So the takeaway, Sarah, is that um, this is crucial. It's my favorite case because people, the the wife typically will come into you stressed out. She's heard from everyone at the beauty shop, at church, at the nursing home that she's going to lose everything. And you sit her down and say, Miss Jones, everything you've been told is wrong. I'm going to explain to you how we can get your husband the care he needs and you're going to get to keep everything. And her eyes get big and I've had clients just hug me right then. They're like, are you serious? I'm like, yes, this is what I do. So the 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 big takeaway is this is tr- where you can truly make a difference in a family's life, um, not just the wife, but the kids. You know, they can see dad's going to get the care he needs, mom's not killing herself, and we're not going to lose everything. And so – This is a great case. I love this. Please, if you have questions, please email me at Todd at theelderlawcoach.com. I would love to talk to you. And if you want an in-depth training on how this works and you want a year's worth of us conversing and me doing cases with you, I would love to do that. Give me a call or email me, and I would love to work with you. All right. Thank you all, and I will see you next time. You've been listening to Todd Watley and Sarah Scott on the Elder Law Coach Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you want more information on Todd's coaching program to help you learn elder law and grow your practice, contact him at Todd at the Elder Law Coach or visit the website, theelderlawcoach.com.